Luke chapter 2. I'd like to begin reading at verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him, that is, of their son, their baby. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, the child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Today we want to thank God for the blessing of all the godly mothers that we are privileged to know and that we are privileged to have among us thanks to God. We thank and we honor and we celebrate such mothers' labor of love, their selfless sacrifice, and their faithful persistence in seeking to raise up godly sons and daughters for the kingdom of God. Because when it comes to pain and hardship, heartaches, and tears shed, there certainly seem at times, it certainly seems at times that such moms have more than their share to have to bear. This is true biblically. It's true historically. And it's true universally. There is an old article, an outstanding article, that was written by Brother Alan Webster, as so many of the articles in the tracks out here that are on our walls. It was published by House to House, Heart to Heart. And there are excerpts from it that will form the nucleus and indeed probably the majority of this morning's sermon. And that article was simply entitled, Jesus, Mother. That article highlights some of the terrible hardships endured by the earthly mother whom God himself chose to bring his son Jesus Christ into the world. First subtitle in that article is entitled, A Mother's Pain. Reading extensively from that article, we, can, we, we move on. When Mary and Joseph brought the child Jesus into the temple, Simeon told Mary, 
Yes? A sword will pierce through your own soul also. Luke 2 and verse 35. Consider the pain that Mary experienced. Number one, and there's a list of these. Number one, when Mary was discovered with child, she began to suffer shame and reproach. Luke 1.39, Luke 1.56, John 8.41. Her pregnancy was misunderstood, and the neighbors must have gossiped about her. Jesus was considered an illegitimate son. The accusations persisted. Even at the cross, here's something you may not have known, even at the cross, it was staring her in the face. The statement above Jesus' head, Jesus of Nazareth, instead of Jesus the son of Joseph, meant to a Jew that Jesus' birth was suspect. When a Jewish boy's parents were not married nine months before his birth, the father could not claim the boy as his son, which usually happened at the age of 12. Then the boy would be known by the name of the city which he grew up in. Pilate mocked the Jews by writing, in effect, your king is an illegitimate son. Number two, innocent children died because of Mary's son, Jesus. Turn to me in your Bibles to Matthew 2. Innocent children died because of her son. Matthew chapter 2, we would notice verses 16 through 18. wherein we read, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Can't imagine the horror of that day when the Roman soldiers rode into town. Brother Webster goes on to say, Although she and Joseph, that is Mary and Joseph and Jesus, fled from Bethlehem to Egypt to escape the sword of Herod, other children did not escape. We wonder how Mary felt when she heard that report. Certainly she must have rejoiced that her child was delivered, but she must have felt the sword once again in her when she thought of all the mothers who had no baby to hold because of her son. And I have to wonder if maybe she didn't just hold her baby a little bit closer. Number three, she had to live in a foreign culture for two years. Now, <clears throat> he goes on to say many more preachers 
would be missionaries. But they, their wives, or their families cannot come to grips with leaving home and their homeland for a place of strange speech and society. How did this teenage girl, now a new wife and mother, handle the Egyptian markets and customs and landlords? And, and that's, that's an excellent question. For those of you who may have grown up and been basically in the same area, same town, same county all of your life, it's hard sometimes to understand something like this perhaps, but it's hard to uproot and, and leave home and leave all that you know behind to travel to a foreign land to live, especially like Mary and Joseph did that night. And you know, you bear me a personal moment or two, I can't help as I read that, but, but to think of my own mother and, and a heartbreaking move. It was a heartbreaking move of a different kind, and, and I think it broke her heart, but we had always pretty much since I was in about the fourth or fifth grade, lived in the same basic area of Maine, Norway, South Paris, that, that sort of town, locality. But mom in her, her birthday party, mom was, her um, birthday was in July. We had a family get together at one of my siblings' houses and mom was there and she came and opened her birthday presents and all that and we saved the news till that was all over that we were moving hundreds of miles away. We were moving to the Dakotas. And we left the next month in August of 2007 and I would only see mom again for a total of about two and a half weeks over the next four and a half years before her death on December the 27th of 2011 and we missed driving, we drove home, but we missed seeing her last breath by an hour or two. I also can't read this without thinking of the very precious and, and faithful godly mother of my own three children. In all of the heartache and the heartbreak and the hardships that she's had to endure both as a mother and as the wife of a preacher over the course of time since we left Maine. It's hard to go live where people speak differently and act differently and eat differently and do differently. And if you've never experienced that, consider maybe somebody you know that's been in the service and has been stationed in other places with other cultures. Number four, Mary lost her son for three days when he was 12, Luke chapter two and verse 49. Joseph and Mary lost Jesus and it was only after they had gone a day's journey that they missed him. They did not find him until the third day. How could a mother spend three days not knowing if her son was safe or not? That's an excellent question. Maybe you've been in a store somewhere and maybe it's happened to you where you turn around and you've got a little one and all of a sudden they're not there beside of you and you don't know where they are. If you want to see pure panic, mom whose child has wandered off in the store, especially in today's society, that would be it. Mary went three days. Mary then, once he was found, asked with a tenderness that perhaps had in it a touch of impatience, if not anger, why have you treated 
us like this. We have sought thee sorrowing. What did Jesus say? Remember what Jesus said? He said, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? In other words, you should have known where to find me since my first and supreme loyalty is not to you, but to God. You know, in spite of the love that Mary had for him, she never quite understood him. The Bible would indicate that very thing to us in Luke chapter 2 and verse 50. We see the first indication of this lack of understanding in that verse, but it persists through the story. And you know, I got to say that like Mary, some mothers, and fathers as well, but some mothers will never fully, totally understand their sons and daughters. They'll never understand some of the choices they make, some of the lives they live, and some of the things they do as adults. Some mothers never will fully understand those things. Number five, Mary suffered the pain of being on the outside looking in. Though she found her son and was privileged to have him with her for almost another three decades, there was a sense in which Mary never truly got him back. The psalmist said it quite eloquently in Psalm 69 and verse 8, where that prophetic text says, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. As you think about that text, you see that, that it is prophesied that the Christ, there would be a division within the family. There would be a, a schism as there were. He had become a stranger to his own brothers and an alien to his siblings. In fact, we would see that played out as we read through the Gospels. On occasions, he seemed to have refused to even make time for them. Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21. Number six, when it comes to Mary's pain. She must have felt pain when Jesus preached his first sermon in his home congregation. You ever thought about that? As moms and dads, we want people to be proud of our kids. And by the way, I will say this. If you haven't noticed the green board out here on the right as you exit, please notice that on your way out. We have some outstanding young people. We have some incredibly talented, gifted young people in this congregation and their accomplishments, some of their accomplishments are listed out there on that board. Take a few minutes to really consider because we have, as I said, some young folks to be very proud of but every parent wants for their child to be, have a good reputation with others. Mary must have felt pain when Jesus preached his first sermon in his home congregation, Luke 4, 16 through 29. Brother Webster said, the whole family was doubtless in the synagogue that morning eager for their kinsmen to make a good impression. Jesus is going to preach in his home congregation, as it were. Isn't that awesome? You know, here's this, here's this young man with, with no theological training, the one who confounded the leaders, 
when he was 12 years old, and he's coming back and preach for us. It's going to be awesome. And surely, Mary wanted him to make a good impression. Brother Webster goes on to say both their family name and their faith were involved. When they heard the gracious words that Jesus spoke, their hearts must have been lifted. And you can, th you know, as, as, as mom or dad even, you can sit there and think, you know, that would be so great. And, and as Jesus begins to, as he begins to preach and everybody is speaking well of him in these marvelous words, that's awesome, but soon, the music was changed into discord. As if seeking to be offensive, the preacher told his congregation that in the long ago when God needed a boarding place for one of his greatest prophets, he could not find one among the Jews, but he had to go to a woman who lived in the land of Jezebel. Now that will not make you a lot of friends if you're preaching to a Jewish audience. Moreover, he told them that though God was able to heal lepers, the only man in the days of Elijah who had faith to be healed was an outsider named Naaman. At this affront, which was absolute truth by the way, at this affront, the local congregation was changed into an angry mob and the preacher was changed into a fugitive. Turn to me and look at that text. Luke chapter four, turn over there with me, would you please? Now certainly, again, in his hometown, you know, home congregation, would you'd think. Luke 4, beginning at verse 16, let's actually read that account. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, Luke 4, 16. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. This was, this was common for him. This is who he was, back in his hometown. And as he handed as he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus stands up and he reads from the, he, he takes his time and he finds where, where this is written and he reads, from Isaiah. And people were impressed. Verse 20, then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And he said, isn't this Joseph's son? They're thrilled. Mary's got to be thrilled. Don't know if the brothers were or not, but Mary had to, I mean, this is awesome. But that quickly changed. He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. <clears throat> But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. 
And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were well, a minute ago, they were really impressed and things were great. Boy, people are fickle, aren't they? You can go ahead and, and, and preach something, and as long as it doesn't apply really to them or in a nice way, Jesus, they're all set. But man, the minute that he opened his mouth and told them the truth from the Old Testament about some of the things they'd actually done, they are filled with rage, rose up, thrust him out of the city, led him on the brow of the hill on which their city was built, they might throw him over a cliff. <laughs> Oops. Question. If this were indeed, as it appears to be, the place where they had worshiped for a number of years, the place where Mary and maybe Joseph, when he had been alive and the boys had come, let me ask you a question. Knowing people, do you suppose over the weeks to come after this, if Mary went back there to worship, that there was some whispering going on behind her back? Remember what her boy did last week? Do you believe she's got the face to come back here? I mean, I don't know what they said. Scripture doesn't tell us. But people are people, right? We haven't changed a whole lot. Have you ever stopped to think about what Mary must have gone through? Had she gone back there? Here she comes. Remember, her boy thinks he's God. Who does he think he is? Number seven. She must have been deeply cut by the persistent rumor which many found credible, that Jesus really was crazy. Matthew 12, verse 24, Luke 11, 15 through 20. The family seems to have been embarrassed by this and on one occasion tried to take Jesus home with them. Matthew 12, 46 and 7. They felt as if there was nothing for them to do but to go and bring him home and thus spare him and them further shame. They didn't have any trouble locating him. He was at the center of a great multitude and being unable to get near him because of the crowd, they sent in word that they, his mother and brothers, were waiting for him. And instead of coming out, what does he do? He refused even to see them, Mark 3, 22 through 32. That may have been the last straw for his brothers. We know that his brothers didn't believe in him at this time. And this may have done it. Number eight at the cross, she suffered because of the way her son died. She knew he hadn't done anything wrong. We sit here on Sundays and we take communion and it breaks our heart that Jesus died for crimes that wasn't his, that weren't his. He lived a totally sinless, pure life. He didn't deserve anything he got. He took our punishment. But add to that, if you can, in some way in your head, not only did she know the type of life he had lived, she knew that he didn't deserve the cross. This was the baby that she had carried for nine months also, added to that. And now, She's watching him die a criminal's death for crimes he didn't commit. She's seeing him there scourged and ripped open. She's seeing him there with the cross and the thorns. This is her son. 
Brother Webster continues, she took her stand by the cross, though she may have had to break with her other children in order to be there. None of them were there. Think about that. We don't see at the cross that Jesus' brothers were anywhere to be seen. We don't now, I realize the Bible doesn't give us every fact of everything. If it did, it would reach from here to the moon. I understand that. We read what happened to the disciples, and, and we read about Mary being there, and we read about John, of course, the, the apostle being there. <clears throat> but we don't read about Jesus' brothers being there. So, remember, they didn't believe in him, John chapter 7. They would have suffered the same shame and humiliation that Mary did when their brother stood up in his home congregation and got, basically got run out of town and thrown off a cliff. Or they wanted to run him out of town, throw him off a cliff. And now, here he is claiming still to be the son of God. They don't believe in him. There is at least a good possibility that Mary, in order to be at the foot of the cross, had to break with the boys, break with the other children. We know that she had other children. And I hadn't thought about this before Brother <clears throat> Webster's article. She took her stand by the cross. And it does seem logical that, and I'm not trying to add to scripture or anything, I'm just trying to think about this. It seems so if Mary had stood there by the cross with the rest of her siblings that they would have been included. It just seems logical. But maybe she had to break with her other children in order to be there. What was that like as a mother? Brother Webster asks. And unfortunately, some of our moms may know what that's like. The division that some, you know, some kids grow up and they have this, this divide between them from one side or the other. And, and there's times that, that mothers are forced to choose. This isn't the first time in the scripture that we've seen siblings that are jealous of one another about Joseph and his brothers. Remember Joseph and his brothers? There was jealousy there. There was a divide. There was a split. What about the, the, what we call the parable of the prodigal son? The older brother, there was a split between the older brother and the younger brother. It, it happens quite often in the scriptures. Sibling rivalry or jealousy is often a sin that seeks to drive a dagger of division deep into the soul of godly parents. Sometimes parents are forced to choose between their own flesh and blood. Sword pierces their souls. Number nine. Her son died in public, crucified between two thieves and treated like a criminal. There's probably no more difficult thing on this entire planet than having to bury one of your own children. Some of you, unfortunately, know that pain. And while that's true of fathers as well, it is particularly painful as the mother who gave them life when they are taken away Guys, we may never understand or appreciate just how beyond words awful that is in the same way that mothers do. On top of that is the way Jesus died. Again, as we have discussed there on the cross. Number 10, every mother is concerned about her son's clothes when he goes out in public. Clothes in Jewish culture not only carried the usual purpose of comfort and modesty, but they were often symbolic. The undergarment was a soft, 
knee-length tunic worn next to the skin. John calls it a katon in John 19 and verse 23, which is the tunic of a high priest. It was also seamless, made from one piece. That's actually the John 19:23 verse, seamless made of one piece. It is entirely possible in that day and time, it was a normal thing, it is entirely possible that Mary had made that for her son. Someone had taken pains to weave it and it makes sense that it was Mary. Customarily, mothers handmade tunics for sons which were presented to them when they left home. This robe in a way symbolized a mother's hopes and dreams for her son. One of the benefits of being assigned crucifixion duty to a Roman soldier was that they got to keep the executed man's possessions. Normally, they split everything equally, which would mean in this case that Jesus' outer robe would be cut into quarters. But this time, each soldier de decided and agreed they'd have all of it or they'd have none of it. The soldier who won the coin toss for it had no idea how truly precious that robe was. It is entirely possible that Mary may have wiped a tear away as he walked away with a garment that she had taken months to weave with her own hands for her son. Many that morning walked by to insult Jesus. Jesus wasn't crucified on a side street, but outside the main city gate where vast Passover crowds were passing by. Imagine the horror of Mary standing by the cross and looking up at her son naked or nearly so in front of the whole world. John 19 and verse 26. How the insults must have stung her heart. She must have bit her tongue to keep from answering them back and defending her son. As Jesus hung there and she watched, surely must both of their hearts must have been broken. Brother Webster concludes with these two paragraphs. Perhaps at that point, her mind drifted back to that night in a stable three decades ago. She had such great hopes for the son of miraculous birth. Even before his birth, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart, Luke 2 and verse 19. She must have rehearsed a thousand times the words of the shepherds, the prophecies in the temple, and the words of the wise men. Imagine that, the, the, the shepherds' words about the angels visiting and, and, and what Simeon had said and all these incredible things. And surely throughout, I mean, if, if you look at, at your son growing up and, and you think back to his birth and these incredible, miraculous things have happened, she must have run those through her mind a thousand times. She must have lain awake at night replaying him confounding the Jewish scholars as a 12-year-old. His wedding miracle and his synagogue prophecy from Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19 as we read that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. How many sermons had she heard him preach with her own ears? How many of his mighty works had her eyes seen? Now it all came down to this. Beaten, hated. Her son was hated. He wasn't disliked. He was hated. 
beaten, victim. His last possession on earth, nothing more than a trophy to a gambler. As the minutes ticked by that Friday morning, Simeon's prophetic words about Jesus came true as they never had before. Luke 2, 34 and 5, where he said, as we read, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and raising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword shall pierce your own soul also. Motherhood is hard. It's hard. And Mary was not the first nor the last mother that such a sword pierced her soul over the choices or circumstances of the lives of her children, the fruit of her womb and the choices they made. You recall in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Adam called his wife named Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Genesis 3 and verse 20. Do you know it's only five verses later? It's only five verses later where a sword must have pierced her own mother's soul as her two boys, one of them killed the other one, and then became a fugitive and was banished. As we celebrate today the labor of love and the selfless sacrifice and some of the heartache, as well as the beautiful and faithful persistence despite all of those things of godly mothers, I want to share with you one other Old Testament mother. Biblically, she is nameless. We don't know what her name was. She was the wife of Manoah. She was the mother of the mighty Hebrew Hercules named Samson in Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. In verses 1 through 3 of Judges 13, you will notice that she would join the list of beautiful but barren, faithful and God-fearing women who God gave the precious privilege of becoming mothers. Sarah, Rebecca, Hannah, and Elizabeth, whom all had been barren, but God gave the ability to conceive. That's verses one through three, she would join that list. Verses four and five, in blood and bone, in promise and in practice, he was to be a Nazarite. In verses six through 23 of Numbers 13, we see the incredibly, and I mean incredibly, careful preparation made, as well as the incredible, confident, and expectation and hope that was raised. This son was going to be something special. And we would notice in Judges chapter 13, the last couple of verses, that finally after all of those things, verses 24 and 5, all the preparation, all the announcement, all of this, so the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtahal. You know what the name Samson means? It means strength of the sun. Strength of the sun. 
One writer said, ancient Jewish fathers said that Samson was named after the name of God, who is called our son and shield, or called the son and shield of Israel in Psalm 84 and verse 11, and that may, or may have been true. But, but what high hopes, what high hopes his parents, and particularly his mother, must have had, who herself had gone through so much preparation. Again, Judges 13, 6 through 23. Follow along in chapter 14, 1 through 3. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman of Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. His father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife of the uncircumcised Philistine? Listen, uncircumcised Philistine is a phrase of contempt. It's almost like they Bet it out. Do you remember what David said and he faced Goliath? He said, this, this, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like the wolf and the bear. I mean, he, he just, it, you spit that out. It was a, a term of detestation, loathing, hatred. Parents are very disappointed and Samson said, get her for me. We know in verse 4 that this was of the Lord, but his parents didn't know that at the time. And as we read on, we can understand the heartache of the parents, and particularly the mother, must have endured at the treachery of her new daughter-in-law. In chapters 14 and 15, we see Samson's dishonesty to his mother and father, as well as his father's acquiescing to Samson's wishes. We see that in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 14. And you know what? It's the last time we see his mom and dad. It doesn't appear as though, where we never see them again in the text, or it does appear that, that maybe they didn't live long enough to see his seduction by the Philistine harlot, Delilah. How they maybe didn't live long enough to see him lose all of his godly strength and how he was blinded and made a slave at Gaza. And eventually, in something akin to, on some level, commit suicide and, and take out 3,000 of his enemies with him. This baby of such blessing and promise was physically mighty, but he was morally weak. He could vanquish lions, but he couldn't conquer his own lusts. He could break bonds at a whim, but he couldn't break his bad habits and judgments. He could slay Philistines without number, but could not control his single most basic of passions. Why do I say all that today? Do I say all of that on this, this day that is aside to honor mothers to bring everybody right down into the depths of despair? No. I say it because motherhood can be incredibly difficult and we need to appreciate moms for all that they face, for all that they potentially face. As I said at the very beginning of the lesson, today we thank God for the blessing of the godly mothers we are privileged to know and have amongst us. Thanks to God. We thank, honor, and celebrate them for their labor of love, their selfless sacrifice, and their faithful persistence in seeking to raise up sons and daughters fit for the kingdom. They're a blessing beyond words. Sometimes, despite a mother's, the, the risk you run is sometimes, despite a mother's and a father's best efforts, children can grow up and decide to make a lot of 
bad, immensely costly choices. It can happen. You can have children in the same family grow up and fight and bicker jealously among themselves. You can have kids like the story of the prodigal son who turn their back on their raising and walk away into the swine fields of sin and that breaks a mother's heart. Yes, it breaks a father's, but it breaks a mother's. Even sometimes, like Mary, their sons and daughters can make the right choices, but then suffer persecution and humiliation in the process. And so as we close this morning, I just want to thank those godly mothers who, despite all the pitfalls and all the heartaches and all the challenges or the potential for them, they remain absolutely true and steadfast to their biblical calling, which is... According to 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. If they continue to fill that role that God has for them and they do so faithfully, no matter all of the risk of the potential pain that it causes. Proverbs 23 verses 24 and 5 says, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. We have a responsibility as children of those wonderful women to live for God and cause them to rejoice. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we want to thank you today. I want to thank you first, foremost, and always for your son Jesus and for all that he has done for us, the shame and humiliation that he went through to save our wretched and sinful souls. Father, we reverence and honor him always and above all else. But at the same time this day, Father, we want to thank you Thank you for those who mean so much to us, for all of those wonderful, faithful, and persistent parents, both mothers and fathers, whom we have amongst us here today and who remain steadfastly committed to raising up faithful and committed sons and daughters to you in your service, even when sometimes there is so much potential for a sword to pierce their own souls in the process. Father, please love and honor, comfort, hold up and protect these moms and dads, as well as their infinitely precious offspring, to continue to seek you, honor and reward the efforts of those who are seeking to raise sons and daughters to you. Bless those moms this day. Bless them, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I understand that this morning has not been a typical gospel sermon, but you've certainly heard a lot about Jesus. Jesus, whom God sent, born of a virgin, came to redeem his people, as Mary was told, came to redeem all of those who would have faith in him, came to establish a kingdom that would never be destroyed, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. Jesus came, born of a woman, died under the law to redeem those under the law, Galatians chapter 4, 1 through 6. He had to be made like us in all things, hence he was born a human being and he died a human being and 
That cross and those nails and that scourging hurt him just much it would hurt any of us. He was human, yet he was fully God. That's how much God loves you. If you're here this morning and you've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've never been born into that family, born again, that is born spiritually, you can be baptized this morning for the forgiveness of all your sins and you can rise up out of the waters of that baptistry just as clean and pure and whole as a newborn baby is born physically. Not a sin on you. Isn't God awesome? We would love to have you be born into the family this day, spiritually speaking. If you are a child of God, like all children, you make mistakes from time to time. No child is perfect. But maybe you've gotten to the point where you realize that you need help in a certain area. Children need help in order to grow, and we as children of the living God sometimes need help and assistance to understand, to carry out, to do those things, to progress, to mature, that we ought to be doing for God. If you need the prayers of the church and you are a child of God, we'd pray for you right now. So if you have a need to become a child of God or become a stronger child of God, don't just stand there. Come to the front while we stand and sing.